Why don't you all say with me, I'm a conduit. Let's try it one more time. I am a conduit. Now, what in the Charles Dickens is a conduit, you might ask? Now, this is the most common picture of what a conduit is, right? It's a little, I think it's aluminum, maybe pipe, steel pipe, different conduits. Some are plastic. But they use it in electricity. You can see it in this building. You can see it when you're actually in other buildings. If you look around closely, you'll see these kind of pipes rolling all through buildings. And you'll see them in interesting places. You'll see them along ceilings. You'll see them inside, outside. Sometimes you'll just see a little hole, and there'll be four of these things going through a hole in a wall. And the point of the conduit is actually to help the wire that you can see here get from an area in a building that has power to an area in a building that needs power. Very simple. The conduit actually helps you run cable there smoother, and it actually protects the cable inside from getting damaged or cut. Now, the interesting thing in our church, we actually have a journeyman electrician sitting right here on the front row, and you'll see he's even got an Amalco electric hat which means he's a very serious electrician because you can't just buy hats. We'll check in with him maybe a little bit later in this message. But listen, we all know that we aren't here to talk about electrical conduit, but it gives us a picture of what it means to be a conduit for the goodness and the power of God. So I want to look at a story this morning about a lady. I don't even know where to put this thing. Oh, there's a conduit hook. But I want to look at a story uh, from the scriptures this morning about a lady who actually is a great picture of what it means to be a conduit for the goodness and the power of God. So we find it in Matthew chapter 15, and we'll start reading in verse 21. So stay with me, especially if this is a story that you've heard before. Sometimes people go, oh, I know this story. You might know this story, but this is actually a living word, and it means you can read the same thing almost infinitely, and God can speak to you differently every time. It's not some dry, dusty book, so let's make sure that we're engaged with the scripture this morning. Verse 21, it says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. 
But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Powerful story. Um, I just love reading stories like this in Scripture where people are getting healed and set free. Because if this is a living book, if this is a true book, then it reminds me that it's actually the same God that's moving and active here today that we read about here. I love stories of healing. I love how they build my faith. So listen, say it with me one more time. I'm a conduit. This lady was a conduit for the goodness and the power of God. When faced with this impossible situation, what did she do? Was it something complicated? Was it something really difficult? Did she follow a secret formula? No, she just said, listen, I have an incredible need over here. My daughter's tormented by a demon. I know that there's Jesus over here, and he's got power over any demon, over any sickness, over any issue. So all I need to do is make a connection between here and here, and this power moves through and transforms this situation. That's all she did. There's nothing complicated, nothing difficult about what she did. And it gives us a picture of what it means for us to be conduits today for the goodness and power of God. This is the same thing that we're called to be to the world around us. So right now, I want you to think actually about the folks that you know in your world, the stories that you've heard. Oh, side note, Andy Holum. Welcome home, pal. Guy's been traveling for a couple months, almost a year, more than a year. We're really good friends. But listen, I want you to think about your world right now, the folks that are in it. Think about somebody that you know that's sick. Think about somebody that you know who you'd say, man, this seems like an impossible situation that they're facing. Actually think, get that face, get that picture of that person, that circumstance. Could be a friend, coworker, family. Could be in your family right now. But I, I want you to actually connect what we're reading about in Scripture to real life. So it's not at some arm's length, oh, glad Jesus helped this lady. No, this is actually what we're called to do today. So let's connect it to real life. Pastor Bill has been talking since the start of this year about 
Um, who's your person? Who's that person that you're praying for and believing for in 2019? What he's actually asking you is to be a conduit between Jesus and that person. How do we make a way for the life and the goodness and the forgiveness and the healing of Jesus to reach our person? I've heard some amazing stories the last uh, couple weeks about just breakthroughs that have happened in, in workplaces where people, <laughs> yeah, people that have never gone to church because of the witness of a person in this church suddenly are just going to church one Sunday. And they're like, what's happening? This is a picture of being a conduit for the goodness and power of God. So we're going to dig in a little bit deeper because I know that you're hearing what I'm saying, but there can be a few things that actually end up being obstacles or blockages to you really going, hey, I can be a conduit for the goodness and power of God. So the first thing I want to say is this. You can be a conduit. You can be a conduit for God to move through your life. Now, obviously, the sermon title that was up there is Conduits. So you might think, well, this seems a little bit ridiculous. This seems a little bit basic. Of course, we're already assuming that. But for uh, many folks in this room this morning, I believe it can be an obstacle for you to even think that God could use someone like you. It's easy to look at our life and go, well, I'm not perfect enough. I don't know enough. I haven't done enough. I've actually done too much. I wish I read the Bible more. I wish I prayed more. I wish I was more Pastor Bill-ish. And it's easy to create this spot where we actually believe a lie that says, hey, God can't use me. God can't work through me. And we back it up with stats. Well, I haven't read my Bible in three weeks, so I can't pray for anyone. And it's a funny thing. It's like when you first come to Christ, you have a keen awareness that this is all Jesus. All of this hinges on Jesus. I can't save myself. I can't forgive my own sins. But it's almost like the longer we're Christians, sometimes the more we start to believe it hinges all on us. And that faith that used to just be in Jesus loves me, he's amazing, he's powerful, ends up going, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm so stupid. I'm foolish. I make such poor decisions. I've ended up in this spot, and it's my own fault. When did it start to hinge all on us and not on Jesus? Now, Kyle, I'm no electrician. But when it comes to conduits, do they need to be perfect on the outside? Do you spend a lot of time polishing them and 
attaching doilies and pipe cleaners and things to make them look fancy? Do you wrap them in fine silk and pearls before they're useful? Kyle, I'm not an electrician, but is that something that you do? Kyle's company at least doesn't do that. So are you telling me that this unpolished, ratchety, like the sticker's half off, you're telling me that this kind of conduit can still be useful even though it's not polished? He says yes. So listen, if that's the case for something as simple as an electric conduit, the picture is exactly the same for us. We don't have to be polished. We don't have to be perfect. All we need to be is willing, like this lady, and God can move through us. What I, the first thing I love about this lady is that she didn't fall for that lie that it all hinged on her, and she comes with this incredible, bold humility and trust in faith in who Jesus is. And we find this in verse 22, where it's the first time she speaks to Jesus. This is what it says. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. So she starts off with, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. So what she's saying, she's saying, listen, I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm imperfect. I know I'm in need of mercy. She's not coming to Jesus like that rich young ruler who's gone, I've obeyed every commandment since I was born. What else do I need to do to get eternal life? She's just coming going, yep, this is all me, and I need mercy. The second thing that she says in this uh, sentence is, Oh, Lord, son of David. Now, this can sound like she's just buttering up Jesus with some nice Christianese, trying to coax Jesus into what she would like him to give her. Sometimes you hear this when people pray. They use all of this fancy language, and you're like, what are we actually asking for? Let's get to it here. But she's not just using a fancy title for the sake of it. What this actually tells us is that she has a keen awareness of who Jesus is. So she starts off with, oh, Lord. When you use a term like, oh, Lord, you're actually saying, listen, you're the Lord over this situation. So when, when we come to Jesus, we actually make him Lord of our lives. We say, God, we're submitting to your leading. We're submitting to your leadership. I surrender all of my own desires, my own dreams, and God, I pick up the dreams and your purposes for my life. So she's coming into a spot where she's putting Jesus in his rightful place of authority in this situation and over her life. Second uh, part of that phrase, she, she uses the term son of David. So what this is doing is she's pointing to Jesus as the Messiah that's been promised through all of the Old Testament prophets. She's saying, 
hey, you're the guy. You're the one that's been promised. You're the Savior of Israel. Now, you'll remember uh, Jesus asked his disciples that question of who do you say I am? And Peter replies, you're the Messiah. Some people say you're a wise teacher, a prophet. I say you're the Messiah. This lady's responding the same way. She's saying, listen, you're, you're God. So just in this little introduction, she's already said, listen, have mercy on me. I'm well aware of what I'm coming in with. But I'm acknowledging who you are. Then she brings her need and she says, my daughter's possessed by a demon that torments her. She's not coming to Jesus just with a selfish request. She's saying, I need what you have to see breakthrough for my daughter. Now, for parents in this room, you'd know that there's nothing that you wouldn't do for your kid if it's in your power to do it. And this lady's saying, I've tried everything I could, and I need Jesus. This is too great for me. So what I love about this is she comes in keenly aware of who she is and who she's not, but she's really aware of who Jesus is. And the more you understand actually who your God is, <laughs> the more uh, boldness you can walk in. Is he a good God? Is he a loving God? Is he a powerful God? Does he actually have a plan and a purpose for your life? The moment that you start to read through this Bible and you start to look at names, like there's names in there for God that they call him, like Jeff, Jehovah Jireh. Anyone know what that is? It's an old way that they used to talk. It actually means God, my provider. So when you're facing a circumstance, when you know who your God is like this lady did, suddenly nothing becomes impossible. Not because you're perfect, but because you know a God who's perfect and powerful and good and kind. So listen, no one's going to polish a conduit. We don't need to be perfect in order to be used by God. So a quick question for you. Is there an area of your life where you need to lift off undue pressure that you put on yourself. I'm not talking about if you're a parent, you're going, man, I need to lift the pressure off of caring for my kids. No, that's due pressure. That's pressure you need to carry. I'm talking about undue pressure, especially with the things of God where you think it all hinges on you and you need to move a little bit more to, hey, it's less about me and more about Jesus. Next thing is this. And conduits find a way around or through every obstacle they're facing. I already talked about it in buildings. Man, they're everywhere. Uh, they just ran some new speaker uh, wire into the foyer for the speakers. So there's music and stuff out there. They just ran it through like a, a hole in the wall. But, man, would a conduit have been easier to run it through? Now, Kyle, again... I'm not an electrician. But I'm hazarding to guess that conduits actually make your life a lot easier when you can just run a cable through something that's already there. 
you can actually push a conduit through a tight space a lot easier than you can push a flexible wire. And all of a sudden, it makes it a lot easier to get around obstacles, things in your way. Now, I'm not an electrician. Is that a true statement, Kyle? It is a true statement. So listen, we all know that we're all always going to face obstacles and opposition, right? Anytime we're going to step out to do something, you're going to face opposition. And we need to become experts of finding our way through walls, through every obstacle, go through a door, go through a window. If a mouse is chewed a hole through, we can use even these parts that are deficient and we can get through to the other side. We need to become experts of this. And that's what this lady did. There's, there was like nothing that could stop her. So for her, there's two big things that she faced as far as opposition. We find them in uh, verse 22. It's just three words in a sentence. It starts with a Gentile woman. So the first thing that was an obstacle in this context was that she was a Gentile. And if you look in your scriptures, there might be like a little letter over the word Gentile. When you see a letter like that, it means that there's a footnote. So then you go to the bottom of the page, and it will say something. Okay, it could also be this term. The author was meaning this. Some translations would use this word. So if you look at the bottom, what you find out is that a Gentile, they could have used the word Canaanite. So if you remember, God gives Israel the promised land. It's full of Canaanites. And what did God do? He said, drive the Canaanites out of that land. What did the Israelites do? Well, they drove most of the Canaanites out of that land. But for years, there was just war between the Israelites and the Canaanites. So the fact that this lady's a Canaanite lady, already there would have been uh, opposition. There would have been an obstacle. Would have been cultural. Would have been historical. Would have been family, religious divides, rooted for generations. The second thing that's an obstacle in this context was that she was a woman. Now, as a quick side note, aren't you happy that we have a God that breaks down everything that divides and separates people, and that every person, regardless of history or uh, current situation, can actually make their way to God because of Jesus. Her context, a little bit different. Approaching a man that wasn't her husband in public was not something that was done, wasn't something that was well-received. At this point in history, there's lots of separation in roles. If you were a, a, a lady, you wouldn't really have a job. So if your husband died financially, you were in a lot of trouble unless you'd find someone who would remarry you. There was a big separation in this context. You can see it by the reaction of the disciples who say, oh, tell this lady to go away. She's bothering us. Now, these might not seem like big separations for us, but to put it in context, it'd be like you or I going to uh, meet with the leader of uh, 
an aggressive militant group in another part of the world, you're probably not going to walk in there going, hey, guys, what's up? The contacts would be a lot more difficult to bridge that gap. That's very similar to what this lady would have been facing. But all through Scripture, we find people that overcame opposition, that overcame every obstacle in their way. There's that lady who had the issue of blood, and she pushes through a crowd of people just to touch part of Jesus' robe, and healing flowed, and she was made well. There's a Roman centurion who comes through to Jesus, and Romans were actually the people that were occupying Israel at that time. That's a hard divide to push through. The prison guard coming to the prisoner asking for help. But conduits always seem to find their way through. So that means if a mountain won't move, you find a way around the mountain, over the mountain, or under the mountain. You find a way to the other side. But let's talk a little bit plainly this morning about this. I know there's times in life where you feel like you hit a situation that's it's too much. It's almost crushing. It seems completely and utterly impossible. What do you do in that situation? The tendency is that we move to worry. Begin to worry. Everything, pressure, stress. You can feel it, tightness in your chest. You can feel like tightness in your neck. Pastor, great, great pastor named Craig Groeschel says, worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. Read that again. Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and the power of God. That's saying that my obstacle is bigger than my God. Regardless of how powerful we might say God is, regardless of the promises he's already made, when we let worry in, all of a sudden, we start to amplify the obstacle and lessen God. So listen, oh, this lady. It's a simple little story you can miss, but look at what she does. Verse 25, it says, after Jesus had said, hey, listen, uh, I actually came just for the Israelite people. It says, but she came and worshipped him. She came and worshipped him. If you want the straightest conduit to God, it's always through the doorway of worship. Every single time. Why do we have worship on Sunday morning? Because we're actually consciously making the shift that regardless of what we come in to church on a Sunday with, we're shifting our attention off of everything on this earth and on to God, onto who he is. We amplify him. We sing about him. We talk about them because that's shifting our focus off of worry and actually onto worship. And whatever you're worshiping is going to get bigger. It's going to increase. This lady comes and worships. 
refocuses you off your circumstances and back onto the God that's above every circumstance. So uh, my parents are here today. My pops has been out of the hospital. Many of you know he had some cancer uh, surgery and did some chemo and a bunch of those things. Has it been, it's been like a month that, that you've been out or so of the hospital. And, uh, but during that time, uh, what I did for my parents was there's a worship CD that I love that I just put on a lot of times in the morning. And I just download it onto my mom's phone. And I think by virtue of technology, it ended up on their iPad. <laughs> but it's something that uh, the one song on there says, at the mention of your name, everything will change. <laughs> All of these things, because I know that for me, when I'm dealing with my dad has cancer, I could get sucked into that vortex and be hopeless instantly. But what do I do? In spite of how I'm feeling, I want to put on some angry metal band. But what do I put on? I put on worship. And I begin to consciously say, in spite of how I'm feeling, in spite of how I'd love to justify the anger and the wrath that's in me, I'm shifting gears and I'm turning to worship. It doesn't matter if I feel like it. I will put worship on and suddenly an atmosphere begins to shift. My focus begins to shift. All of a sudden that problem, I go, God's got this. <laughs> the last time I, I preached, um, I just said, I don't fear cancer. And I didn't say it just as like, well, hopefully. There's just something in me that knows that, man, my God is above every sickness and disease and everything that we could ever face. He's so much better, so much greater. Worship will refocus you. So question, where do you need to move from worry to worship in your life? What's that big thing? What's that big thing that seems like this immovable mountain? Where do you need to begin to magnify God and minimize your mountain? It's like uh, on your computer, if you've got the big mountain picture on your screen, and then there's those like three dots in the one corner, and then you're like, Boop, and then the window goes, Boop, and it's gone. That's what we need to do. Okay, next thing is this. Conduits need to be clear of debris. Now, Kyle, I'm no electrician, Kyle. You know this. <laughs> Thank you, sister. But, Kyle, it's my understanding that you don't want the conduit clogged. You don't want to jam a bunch of licorice in there or something else. You want to keep it free of foreign objects so that you can actually use it for its intended purpose. Is that true? Yes. So it needs to be clear. Now, one of the easiest ways for us when we're going, God, I want to be a conduit for your goodness and your power. One of the easiest ways for us to get clogged up is to let offense take root 
in our lives. One of the easiest ways. It'll lodge in there, and all of a sudden where there was this free flow of the goodness of God in and through your life, suddenly it feels all plugged up and backed up. We're hitting that spring season where you're probably going to want to clean out your gutters and your downpipes of your house so that you don't have a bunch of stuff in there clogging it up and causing the water to not actually flow where it needs to go. This is what offense will do in our lives. This lady in this story alone had many reasons to let offense build up, but she didn't. So firstly, she could have been offended by people. In verse 23, Jesus' disciples suggest that he send her away. They say, tell her to go away. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Jesus' disciples didn't make it easy for this lady to get to Jesus. Remember, these are Jesus' disciples. Have you ever met Christians that don't make it easy for people to get to Jesus? Oh, man, it's so easy to judge the disciples and judge someone else. Oh, it's so much more fun, too. But how easy do you make it for the people in your life to get to Jesus? Are you a doorway or are you just a flat wall? We need to live lives that, man, with what we say and how we act and how we treat people, all we're doing is clearing away for people to see the Jesus inside of us. So before we judge these guys for shooing this lady away, you're being an inconvenience to Jesus. Oh, he's got enough to deal with without you. Let's check our own hearts. But this lady, she could have been instantly offended. Really? This, these are the people that are around you? This is how they treat others? I want nothing to do with it. Secondly, she could have been offended actually by Jesus. When she first comes to Jesus and cries out for mercy, his first response is, well, actually no response. It says Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. No reply, not even a word. What do you do in your life when it seems like Jesus just goes quiet when you pray? What do you do when you're battling for something in your world and you're going, God, I need an answer, and it seems like it's just dead quiet? She comes to Jesus a second time, pleading again, Lord, help me. But Jesus responds in verse 26, saying, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. That makes me a bit uncomfortable. Uh, man, that's pretty 
pretty rough for Jesus to say. So what would your response be if, if you're pleading and praying and Jesus responds to you in a way similar to this? Or what if he just doesn't respond the way that you want him to? Well, God, I've been praying that you'd have a breakthrough in this area, and then I guess it didn't happen. What happens when these kind of situations come our way? A person wounds you. A a Christian betrays you. It seems like God's gone quiet. He doesn't respond how you would have wanted him to. What happens in your heart? Do you let a blockage come? Do you let offense take root? (laughs) This lady, it really would have been easy to give up after Jesus is like, actually, we don't really give food to the dogs. But she doesn't quit because she knows who Jesus is. She knows what those promises are. She knows what's on the inside of him. So she pushes in a third time. There's folks I know that, man, it does it. You pray one time for 10 seconds and nothing happens. You're like, that's it. I quit. And people give up. This lady, in spite of things that could have turned her off, she pushed through a third time. And she has one of the best comebacks to this dog comment ever. She says, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat scraps that fall beneath their master's table. She's actually like verbally sparring with Jesus. But what it reveals is that there's faith in her. There's trust in who Jesus is. She's not letting setbacks or potential offense take root. She's going, I know who he is, and I'm going to push through a third time. Jesus responds, dear woman, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And then it says, and instantly her her daughter was healed. Imagine if she'd just given up. A disciple's like, listen, lady, you're kind of annoying. Her daughter's in the same spot. Oh, God, you're not going to respond to me? Okay, that's it. Daughter's in the same spot. When there's quiet from God, uh, uh, there's a pastor up in Edmonton, a guy named Landon Dorsch, who I really respect, and he said, uh, an unanswered prayer is an invitation to greater intimacy. This lady doesn't take it as a rejection. She says, I'm going to push in a third time. I'm going to push in a little bit closer. So we need to keep our lives clear of offense, right? This lady had more than enough reasons just in this chunk to be offended. We need to keep our lives as conduits for the goodness and the power of God clear of things that can block. Offense is one of the big ones. And if we're going to talk plainly, there's lots of areas in my life where at certain points, I've prayed, and it's like God's quiet. So what did I do? Well, I know who he is. I know who my God is. And I trust him even when 
I don't understand everything because I know who he is. And if I trust him, I actually don't need to understand everything. That great lyric that we've been singing in that new wine song the last little while, it says exactly that. If I trust you, I don't need to understand. When he's quiet, we move to trust. So a question for you. Are there any areas in your life where maybe you're holding a fence out? Could be historically to somebody in a church, person. But are there areas in your life where you might be holding a fence actually towards God? An unanswered prayer, a disappointment. I don't get how God does everything. I don't understand it all. But I know that when we let a fence take root, it becomes an instant blockage. And for me, I'd love to see you free to release the goodness of God into your world without anything slowing down that flow. Uh, Alina, could you come?